0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: What we're looking for in week one from the players on our final FFPC team. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm my You can find my newsletter. Stealing signals, which will have all of the big stealing, all of the big signals and noise after week one on Monday and Tuesday and every week thereafter. You can find that at Pengretchovsubstock.com. With me as always is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his fantastic work at Rotoviz. Sean, it's late Tuesday night. And I'm heading out to Vegas tomorrow for a couple of days. We just drafted what will almost certainly be our final FFPC main event from the 11 hole. We have some really fun players and you have this great idea that in part because this pod might release even after the Thursday night football game. I mean, we're, we're, we're here at week one and we're, we're thinking about what what's going to happen in week one. I'm very excited for week one after, you know, the busiest NFL offseason that I can remember. What are we looking for from some of these players? We have some interesting names on our roster that, this theme fits
2: for. We do. And we drew the 111. We had a team recently from the 110 where we started Saquon Barkley, DeAndre Swift. We like that start, but we wanted to do something a little bit different. We want to make sure we didn't miss on Kyle Pitts. We take him at 111 and then yeah, a little bit of a disappointment that both Swift and Barkley go with the turn. That's not necessarily a surprise. They do go there often. We come back through and take CeeDee Lamb, a player that I've personally seen fall to you know the 109 range a couple of times recently. But this was my third draft of the day. It's one of the reasons why this is the best week of the fantasy football season. I drafted a best ball tournament team in the FFPC with Colin Kelly and Blair Andrews. I drafted an FBG team with one of the two listeners of our contest jonathan that was a lot of fun we had the 107 and started saquon barkley pitts almost came back but didn't quite we actually passed on cd lamb and took deandre swift who fell so that was also a Swift team. but to reiterate we started kyle pitts cd lamb very high on pitts we also take tyler algier late after he falls a little bit one of the reports this week talks about how damian williams could be maybe not just the number two but maybe the clear-cut number two at least early in the season his claim to fame is a brief stretch of stardom with the chiefs in the reality playoffs before the pandemic season which kind of Derailed his career, unfortunately, but he's going to get another chance to perhaps play the Mike Davis role. So that kind of starts us out on this path of talking about what we're looking forward to seeing in week one, specifically maybe some teams that we have a lot of exposure to. The Atlanta Falcons are one of those teams. They have Marcus Mariota. He looked sharp in the preseason. He's going to have to play well throughout, it seems like, to hold off Desmond Ritter, a player they're getting ready to. probably have that midseason audition unless the falcons are better than expected but the falcons could be a lot of fun they have kyle pitts they also have drake london these are two of my highest exposures i think the offense will run through those two players they play in a dome it could be a better offense for fantasy scoring or for reality scoring which then translates into fantasy that i think a lot of people are giving it credit for but there are a lot of ways that this team could go i might be more interested in the falcons than most people are based on the way that i'm playing it but the marcus mario to would be a really good story in general it'd be a great feel-good story because he's one of the nfl's true gentlemen at least it seems like am am i too enthusiastic here are, are, is this one of the teams that you can't wait to see on sunday
1: i'm also very excited uh i'm a little little concerned about their week one matchup, with the Saints, who have, a, I think, a pretty good defensive line. The Falcons might have some offensive line issues. They are at home. It would be awesome to see them play particularly well against the Saints. But even if they don't, I don't think I'm going to be necessarily out on them after week one. I mean, I basically share all of your enthusiasm for the long term. But maybe they aren't a team that I'm going to make strong conclusions on in week one. I'm going to be a little bit understanding of. I. The, the key element for me is if they do get into i I think they're about 5.5 point underdogs if they do get into a situation where they're down say double digits at some point do they play fast do they throw a little bit those are things that the market has been very low on the possibility of so any indication that that's a possibility with Mariota under center would be i think pretty exciting obviously for what that can mean throughout the season but yeah i mean i'm i'm definitely excited to see them i guess i'm i'm cautiously optimistic and and not going to write them off if they have some early struggles
2: either. This isn't a team to make snap judgments on after week one.
1: Right. Yeah. But there are some teams speaking of snaps and and some players that I don't know. I mean, we're not going to make a lot of snap judgments after week one, but there are some players that we drafted on our team that I'm super excited to learn about. Their roles in week one, we wound up getting Romeo Dobbs in in round 11. I thought he was a really perfect fit for this idea that you had. We took Ronald Jones again, Sean, in round 20. The Chiefs' backfield is one that when you talked to – first kind of threw this idea at me about what we might be looking for in week one. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is who's going to be inactive in the Chiefs' backfield, if anyone. How are the touches going to split? Are they going to rotate? I think everyone right now is expecting Ronald Jones is going to be inactive. It's going to be CEH first, Pacheco second, or at least this is sort of based on the market over the last week or two, and maybe some Jarek McKinnon. McKinnon might look like the distant third, sort of just a passing down type player. Anything that's not what I just described is going to be very interesting.
2: If it happens that way, are all of the backs outside of Jones overpriced? Could it be something where Jones is inactive in week one, and yet he's also the player that you would actually have wanted to make the bet on because until he gets cut, which is always a possibility, then those other players not necessarily in a position to establish themselves. Once he gets out there, he could still really take the reins. I think that CH specifically needs to get a big chunk of the workload in order to justify his draft position. If he starts out already in a committee, that's pretty devastating for him pacheco i think a guy who has fallen in the last week an interesting bet at these new prices Jarrett mckinnon a fantastic play one of the reasons the chiefs are interesting ben is that they have been so good and this year is so much fun not just because of the overall turnover but turnover even within these elite offenses the offenses the fantasy managers want to create a lot of exposure to the kansas city chiefs are not just a question mark at the running back position but a big question mark in the passing game, we don't have Sky Moore on this team, but we have him a lot. The prices have gotten a little bit more affordable, but are still aggressive if he, you know, starts out as the clear-cut fourth receiver. Now, the saving grace for him is that out of the four guys, he's the receiver who can withstand that because you would expect his role to grow. Anybody else becoming the clear fourth receiver for the Chiefs, sort of right off the bat and i mean i think that that really hurts them from a fantasy perspective one player who does still go relatively early considering his track record is mccull hardman if he doesn't have a week one role with the new players being involved with the injury that or the knee swelling that juju has struggled with i mean if hardman is going to have a role it should be early so we have question marks there that are a lot of fun. And then you mentioned the Green Bay Packers. We'll also talk about the Buffalo Bills. And we're talking about three of the very best offenses of football. And outside of Stephon Diggs with the Bills, those three offenses, they just have so many targets available, so much room for different players to jump up. And the great thing about having rookies is that they do give you that wiggle room. If you haven't drafted them in the first five or six rounds and they don't hit in week one, then you're like, okay, I mean, I can be patient here. But if they do hit, man, you just feel like you've already gotten off to such a great start. How are you looking at at Dobbs there, especially now that we've gotten some news that maybe Alan Lazard isn't completely healthy? Well, I think
1: what you said about Sky Sky Moore is sort of a perfect encapsulation of how I'm looking at Dobbs. I won't be concerned if he doesn't play particularly a lot. It'd be slightly concerning if Lazard doesn't play a lot and Dobbs isn't even rotating in, for example. But it does seem like he would to some degree. But yeah, the the whole season will be in front of him in terms of potentially earning more playing time. So, you know, it's it's what you just said. If he's playing a lot, then then that's great. You feel like you already hit. You feel like you already have a player that's an every-down player that has potential skill upside. In an Aaron Rodgers offense, that would be fantastic. If he's not, you still have some wiggle room. I want to tack on a thought on, on onto your Chiefs' backfield points as well, where even if Rojo, you kind of asked at the beginning of that, like if he is inactive, what, you know, does that still make him sort of the guy to have? It will be really interesting to see how effective the running game is because I think CEH and Pacheco and the rest of them will need to get off to a fast start. I, I look at what might happen there as somewhat similar to what happened in Baltimore last year, where I think the first four weeks, they had a different back inactive every week. I think Um, between Le'Veon Bell, who was a little bit of a late joiner, but Latavius Murray, Devonta Freeman, and Tyson Williams, they were rotating. Williams was the one that kind of did well in the first couple weeks, but then they made him inactive like week three. It was like they were just giving everyone a turn being inactive and going with, Different sets of three backs to, to get a look at all of them over the first month. I don't necessarily think that's what's going to happen with the Chiefs, but if you think about a scenario where Ronald Jones is inactive in week one and CH is not effective running the ball and Pacheco is not effective and, and Jarek McKinnon is probably not going to be your heavy volume runner, I think we would right away potentially see Ronald Jones active in week two. I don't know how, what that would mean for who would be inactive. Maybe it would be McKinnon because they are going to be playing Pacheco as a kicker turner. That's a big reason people have been so excited about him. And so he seems like he's going to be a locked-in active player as the special teams guy. But we might see Ronald Jones immediately active in week two and getting plenty of work. If it's the inverse where Ronald Jones is inactive but the runners uh, that are active have a pretty effective day, I mean, I think that's what they, they need. I mean, they have to short-term be good. Like, I think CH is fighting for his job. Right away, in terms of his effectiveness, and so that'll be really interesting for them. You mentioned the bill, Sean. We've gotten really high on Gabe Davis lately. He started to go very high as well. We've got him on each of our last couple of drafts. We were talking uh, a little bit before we came on about Isaiah McKenzie. I think you and I are pretty much in lockstep, but you've said it very well that this feels like kind of a, a stefan digs and and, a, and gabe davis show in the passing game and, and the question of like whether or not the number three can be really effective that'll be a really big question early but there are a lot of weapons how do you see the distribution i guess of production in the passing game looking for the for the bills
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed
2: I think you're gonna get a lot of targets for the big two. We know Stefan Diggs, what he can do. He's just a slightly lesser Antonio Brown type of player. Davis looks like the perfect complement to him. And the Bills have really opened themselves up to that. Last year they felt like he hadn't established himself enough. They wanted to be in a position to, you know, go and win the Super Bowl. So they brought in Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley was still very much involved. I think that part of the evolution of the Bills offense was making that adjustment and saying, look, we need to have this vertical portion of the passing attack outside of just digs. Not necessarily washed up, but you know, over the hill veterans are not the way to do it. We have a guy who can be a flat out star. And so then I think below that you have to be aware of how it probably works in that they bring in a potential receiving back in James Cook. They draft one of the, not necessarily a steal of the draft, but a good value if you're looking at wide receivers taken outside the first 60 picks in Khalil Shakir. He had a good training camp. Jamison Crowder injured and not the type of athlete who's going to flash necessarily in that practice environment in the same way, but McKenzie... I think his really good training camp, what it does is solidify him as the number three guy, which wasn't a given because there is some legitimate competition. But you contrast McKenzie, for example, with Dobbs who goes in a vaguely similar area and McKenzie maybe even still has the higher floor with the way that that part of it will work. But Dobbs has the chance to be a number one in a Green Bay Packers offense there's a lot of projection there there's a huge amount of uncertainty you're talking about a relatively late round draft pick a small school guy being asked to fill that role as a rookie probably not aaron Rodgers' preference even except for the fact that aaron Rodgers realizes that dobbs and christian watson need to be the guys as the season progresses if they're going to take that next step i mean Aaron Rodgers doesn't have anything to prove as a player. He's winning MVPs and yet not allowing or not being in that position to take the team the next step. The Green Bay Packers don't have anything to prove in the regular season. (laughs) They have to prove that they can go out and beat these other elite teams with elite coaches with the Super Bowl on the line. You can't do that with a number two slash number three guy in Alan Lazard, and then players who should not be in the NFL anymore in Sammy Watkins and Randall Cobb. So I think the fact that Dobbs is not blocked by a first-round pick in Stephon Diggs, a three-fourth-turn pick in Gabe Davis, means that that range is what we want to bet on. And I think it also comes into play a little bit, perhaps, as we're trying to figure out you know how do you bid on McKenzie in leagues where you drafted early and he's available? I think you should go after him. I think that you want him as part of your team, but the other element is that running back is really the position that you want to create a team around that can benefit from free agency, that can benefit from this dynamic that you always talk about when we're referencing the dead zone, which is that the right running back pickups in free agency can be played that week and can be played as clear-cut starters. I'm guessing that McKenzie is not a great fit for most Stealing Bananas listeners, for Stealing Signals readers, for Rotavus readers, in terms of how they built their original team. You probably want to save those blind bidding dollars for the running back position, not only because maybe you need running back a little bit more, but because that's the position where free agency can just take you home and create that fantasy title for you you need to have the money for an elijah mitchell you need to have the money for a cordero patterson you need to have the money for an alfred morris we don't necessarily have a good read on who that player would be yet we don't necessarily have a guy who's so trendy in the last week before the season that people have moved him from out of the draft into round 10 i mean you might say that damian pierce is the closest thing but he's moved up into like round four and five (laughs) so i mean And he's not available in any leagues. Yeah,
1: and and I I think that's exactly right. This is also, again, a a season where there are a lot of players that are undrafted in a lot of leagues that I think in week one could could make a case for us to get very excited about them. So, again, to your point about potentially saving a little bit of that blind bidding money for in-season as opposed to making some of those early you pre-season big bids. I do think there's a case for that because I do think we're going to have some outcomes week one and some of these uncertain spots that we go, oh, that's a guy we should have been drafting a lot of. Like you said, there's not really clear targets in that mold right now, but there are a lot of options at the ends of every draft. And there's a lot of guys that I can definitely see cases for that we don't even necessarily draft. I think we've gone far enough without saying the rest of the team, though, Sean. From the 11 hole, we went Kyle Pitts, Steady Lamb, Gabe Davis, Jalen Waddle, Brees Hall as our anchor running back at the 5'11". Elijah Moore, Devonta Smith, Traylon Burks. Devin Singletary was our second running back at the 9-11. Rondell Moore, Romeo Dobbs, a very wide receiver-heavy draft. Eight in the first 11 picks. Hall and Singletary, and then Pitts, obviously, in the first round, the only non-receivers. And then we were done at receiver. From then on, we went Gerald Everett as our tight end, two. Tyler Algier. Justin Fields, we grabbed Amir Abdullah, only our second non-rookie running back, our fourth running back overall. Noah Fant, Tyler Bass, Denver D, and then with our last two picks, we figured we should at least get a fifth and sixth running back, Ty Chandler and Ronald Jones. A few more players here that we're really looking for the week one role. You mentioned that Damian Williams might be the clear cut number two in Atlanta, but we're certainly interested to see if Tyler Algier plays at all. Maybe it's a little bit of a three-way split. Maybe he's actually more involved than expected, but higher up, we got the two Jets. Breeze Hall. How much does he play? what is this split like with Michael Carter, Elijah Moore? What does the receiving situation look like with the Jets? We're obviously taking Garrett Wilson in a ton of drafts as well. I'd love to see those two as their two receivers and two receiver sets. It's possible we'll see Corey Davis in a lot of those situations. Very interested to see how the Jets' routes go. But then another guy here that we took. We you mentioned while we're drafting is a guy that we. Feel like we're missing on too much, but then you go look at the exposures and do still have a ton of him. Rondell Moore, I want to see routes down the field. I don't even care if he doesn't get the targets. I just want to see him running routes 10 yards past the line of scrimmage at least a few times, right? Hopefully also earning some targets. And if we get that, his profile is going to look great. That's going to be a huge key for me in week one with Rondell.
2: And Rondell is a player we like. To draft with Kyle Pitts with that week 17 game in a lot of different types of formats. This is a week 15 to 17 shootout. But perhaps if you are up there with a bunch of other Pitts teams going into week 17 and you need a little bit of a way to play that game, not lose a lot from your starting lineup, you're getting a sense of of which players are likely to be in lineups. More would be an option if he takes that massive step forward. He's a player where next year if you said he was being picked in round 3, I don't think that's that difficult to believe, but you do want to see it. That's going to be one of the great things about week 1 is did the Cardinals actually make some of these adjustments? There was a lot of turmoil there in the offseason, all the things with Kyler Murray and his uh maybe borderline immature behavior or maybe just it's a contract issue, right? But now they seem like they're together. They've added a ton of talent, but a ton of talent that has either struggled with suspension or injury. So it's very open-ended as to who plays. Trey McBride, a player we draft in round 20 almost all of the time, he could be a big part of what happens in week one, or he might not even see the field very much. So a lot of (laughs) different things we could see, again, with another team that is high-powered and has been a good team now the Cardinals did fade significantly down the stretch last year as someone who lives in tucson and is an arizona cardinals fan i'm excited to see what they look like is it the team that they appeared to have through the first half of last season a real super bowl contender or is it the team that was not even remotely playoff worthy by the end how much can they do without deandre hopkins out there did the trade for marquise brown and this supposed new package you read a lot that They know they made a mistake last year with Rondell Moore. They're going to have him more involved. They have a specific plan to get him more involved. But what is that plan? We don't really have a sense of that yet. The Cardinals didn't use their guys in the preseason games in any way, shape, or form that you would be able to get a read off of that.
1: There are so many other spots, too, as I look through this draft and look around the league that are going to be so much fun to watch in week one and week two. You know, Benjamin, a guy we take a ton. How much is he or how clearly is he the number two? Is he the number two? Just basically every rookie. How much are they playing? Raheem Mostert, a guy we started to take a lot of. How much is he playing in the backfield? So, I mean, backfields, rookie playing time. And then there's stuff like, are the Eagles going to throw enough for A.J. Brown to be the, you know, top five wide receiver that he deserves to be? It's going to be an absolute blast. I can't wait for week one. And Sean, we're going to be talking every week, all season long, about everything that we learned, right? (laughs) About Both of us will be writing big recap pieces and then breaking it down. I know anyone who listened throughout the season last year knows that we certainly have our own style and our own perspective on it that's maybe a little bit different than the way that I think a lot of the market may be looking at things. And so it will be uh, such a blast to go through another year with you here talking about all of the changes
2: throughout the season. And, and man, it's just going to be a fun season. It is going to be. I and mean, we talk about the week one overreaction. Everybody has their week one overreaction columns and you label it overreaction so that you can make bold claims about what you just saw. And then, you know, the fact that it's labeled overreaction. Like, I, I don't really mean this, except I do mean this because it's just what I saw. But the fun part about it in 2022 is that, I mean, we could have overreaction first month. A lot of these teams are going to be making a variety of adjustments, seeing what they have. You've got players like Drake London for example, who not only do you have the rookie element, do you have the new quarterback element for the team overall, but he missed a bunch of playing time after the injury in the first preseason game. he could go out there for 150 yards and two touchdowns or he might you know play, Thirty percent of the snaps. Either way, he's going to be an impact player for the Falcons over the long term. We drafted Jalen Waddle in this draft, and the Miami Dolphins are going to be one of those fun teams to get a look at in Week One. How much difference does Tyreek Hill make? Does that allow Tua to take the big step forward? They have Tyreek Hill there. They have the new coaching staff, the new scheme. Jalen Waddle has missed all of that time. Does that mean that he gets off to a slow start? Or have they just been keeping him very much protected so he can launch in week one, take the next step after a record-breaking rookie year? We have receivers like Devontae Smith. You just mentioned the Philadelphia Eagles. How much do they pass? Someone who is incredibly cheap considering how good he's been for the last couple of years. I can't wait. We spend all day long on Sundays watching the games. You can get to a point every once in a while where you're watching the Houston Texans or something like that, and it does feel a little bit like work, but we are only hours away now from an absolute party in week one. I just want to reiterate again how much fun it is to then get a chance to come back and talk to you about these games. I feel like I learned a lot, and that interplay and exchange of ideas is so helpful for the following week. It's been great to do all of these FFPC drafts, the main events and some of the best ball tournaments, FFPC, such a fantastic format. If you're listening to this on Friday and you're looking for more drafts, the FFPC, if it hasn't sold out already, and obviously teams are going like hot cakes right now. If it hasn't sold out, you have more chances to draft on Friday and Saturday, even though the Thursday game has occurred. Now that you know what's happened in Bill's Rams, you can decide whether or not you want to pay up for the heroes of that first game. As always, I'm Sean Siegel with me is Ben You can follow at Yards Per Gretch. Make sure you sign up. You want the signal. You want the noise. You want those two epic columns that come out after week one. If you haven't signed up, this is your chance. Don't miss it. Stealing lines, the betting venture with Dalton Cates. You hit those right bets. You hit the right props. Ben, the betting isn't my expertise, but you can make a lot of money in a hurry. And I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to do that. We'd love to have you over at Rotoviz. You get a 10% discount using the coupon code RBRADIO2022. When you check out, we're going to have so many different features, cover all the different developments from the previous week. Look ahead. Dave Cabin putting the final touches on even better tools. You'll be able to get a depth of information from our Sports Info Solutions package that you wouldn't believe. We'd love to have you guys over there. Subscribe to the feed, leave us a rating and review. We'll have a slightly different tempo in season. There'll be more on that soon. Good luck in your final drafts. Good luck in week one. We will talk to you guys soon.